It was fun anyways, but this is the third week of our Brave series, and we've been talking about uh, brave and what it means to be brave and how it's a little bit different than what we normally view bravery as. When you start looking at this idea of being brave and what bravery it is, we've been looking at, the, uh, at Peter. Peter has kind of been um, our person that, that shows us uh, what bravery is like. In the very first week that we, we looked at, we looked at what it meant to be brave to follow Jesus. And how being brave to follow Jesus meant that uh, it, it's more about trusting. It's more about being selfless. It, it's, it's about following Jesus w- with those things, not uh, in patience, not this uh, you know, kind of craziness that sometimes we, we get when it comes to following Jesus, but it's drastically different. Uh, last week, Thad talked about here uh, at, at the Sumner campus, talked about what it meant to be brave to fail and how we've all failed before. And we will continue to fail. We all make mistakes, but we talked about how failure isn't a roadblock, but it's a launch pad. How it's not a monument, but it's a moment. It's not something when we look at failure that it's very easy to build monuments to our failure. And what happens when we have monuments? We think people come and stare at them and watch them and they're always there to be remembered something. But really, failure is just a moment. It's not a monument that that continues us into other places. Well, today we are going to look at this idea of what it means to be brave to act. And so uh, we're going to start out, if you want to take your talk handout, uh, it is in your worship guide when you came in. You can use the paper one. If you got the app uh, on your phone, your smart device, you can use the app as well to follow along. Either one works, uh, but we're going to be using those connect cards a little bit later. You can use the digital one or the paper one. But we're going to start here in John chapter 14 in verse 12. And it says this, I tell you the truth, Jesus speaks. Anyone who believes in me will do the same works I've done and even greater works because I'm going to be with the Father. You can ask for anything in my name and I'll do it so the Son can bring glory to the Father. Yes, ask me for anything in my name and I'll do it. So I was uh, eight or nine years old uh, and uh, our neighbor's yard kind of butted to a T to our backyard. And so in order to go over to their yard, you'd have to go around the corner. And I remember it was a Saturday like this. It was sunny. It was nice out. And uh, my mom and my sister were gone. And so it was my dad and I at home. And, and so I, I asked my dad, I said, hey, is it, uh, you know, can I go play at my friend's house? And he said, yeah. But he said, if they're not home, come right back. Okay, yeah, makes, makes sense. And so uh, I went around the corner. Uh, they weren't home. And I came back. Now, my dad was inside, and I was in my driveway just uh, staring because there was another kid that looked to be my age across the street playing. And his cousin was over there, and I'm like, that looks fun. This is not so much fun. I'm going to go over there. And so I remember I, I went across the street and, and I you know, started talking with them, you know, and we were eight, nine, ten years old, and, and I remember uh, I went, we were going to play catch. And, uh, and so uh, this kid's parents said, listen, he doesn't catch very well, so if the ball goes in the road, you need to go get it or you need to come get us. And we're like, got it. And so we, we were playing catch there, and, you know, and I remember I threw one and he missed it. And he turned around and just started running. And I said, wait, you got to get your parents. And he kept running. And I remember like, I, I mean, I can still see it when I think about it. A blue Volvo station wagon came and hit him. And I remember him like up in the air, hearing him hit the ground, freaking out. And, you know, I'm eight or nine at this point, And I remember I ran, uh, there was like a little alley uh, to the backyard of the house. And I was like, he got hit by a car, you know. So all these people come running. And I remember 
remember they run to him and I run straight to my house because I'm terrified. Because when you're eight or nine years old and you know you disobeyed your parents and now a kid is lying on the ground because he hit by a car, guess what? That's your fault. Right? That's, that's what my eight and nine year old mind is thinking. And so I remember uh, I, when I ran in the door, my dad was asleep on the couch. And like every good at eight, nine year old boy, you know you don't wake dad, no matter how bad it is. And, and so I ran upstairs to my parents' room, which I, I could look down on the road and see everything happening. And so I remember looking uh, through the blinds, you know, just pinching them, not opening them, but just pinching them open just enough to where I could see. I remember the ambulance came. I remember the cops came. And I remember that the, the cousin that was there, he was talking to the police officer and he pointed at my house. And at that point, I was terrified because I'm like, the police are coming to get me. Like, I'm going to jail. Uh, you know, I, I don't know what's going to happen here, but this is bad news for me. And so uh, I went downstairs and there was the coffee table. And I, I really wasn't sure which was worse, the fact that I was about to go to jail or if I had to wake up my dad, right? Because it was serious. You didn't wake up dad when he was sleeping. And so I, I just sat on the coffee table and stared at him, right? And, and I remember I stared at him and I remember his eyes open and he looked at me and goes, what? And I'm like, <laughs> and I said, this kid just got hit by a car. And he's like, okay. And I like, well, I was playing catch. I tell him the story. And I remember me not even wanting to go to the door. And my dad opens the door and closes it. And he sits down just on the steps and watches. And he watches as the kid gets put in the ambulance and they drive him away. And, you know, some of the family walked back across the street and the parents got in their car and drove. And I, I remember sitting behind my dad, just kind of peeking over his shoulder, knowing that like he was there and feeling that sense that like it will be okay. There's more to the story that I'm going to tell you a little, about, uh, a little bit more in a minute, but I want to get you to our big idea today and to have this different idea of what bravery looks like in regards to Peter. And so our big idea today is this, bravery moves us from our abilities to the fullness of God's power. Bravery moves us from our abilities to the fullness of God's power. When we think about bravery and we think about being brave, we tend to think that it's something that we do, that it's in our strength, that it's in our abilities, that if I'm going to be brave, I have to go out and I have to take the next step or I have to take action or I have to do it. And I remember we sit there and we go, if I'm brave enough, I have to do these things. You ever felt that? Maybe, maybe it was brave enough in a relationship or brave enough at work that if, if you really want that promotion or if you really want you know, that girl or whatever you want, maybe like you have to be brave enough to act. What if bravery looked drastically different? What if bravery wasn't really about acting in our own strength, but acting in the fullness of God's power? What if the, our, our bravery was us saying, it's not about me and my strength, but it's about God and his power? What if that's really what true bravery is? And so it says this in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So Jesus tells that to his disciples. He's died on the cross, rose again. He shows up to his disciples, and he says, Listen, you're going to receive power 
when the Holy Spirit comes in. In some translations, it says the advocate, when the advocate comes for you. And it's very interesting when you begin to think about this, and he says, you're going to be my witnesses. And, and he doesn't say anything about, okay, guys, listen, I'm going to heaven. You saw me. You saw the resurrection. Get up some gusto. Get up some strength and go out and tell everybody. He didn't say that. He didn't say, okay, here's the plan. I want you to go knock on all the doors, wake everybody up at 7.30 on Saturday and tell them how much I love them. He, he didn't say anything about that. He does say, but you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes with you. All of a sudden you begin to realize that it's not our strength, but it's God's. And it leads us to thought number one, that we are empowered to act. We are empowered to act. I think sometimes when it thinks about this idea of, of doing and being brave, we think that it, it, it's this moment that it takes everything in us to do. That it takes us, we just got to get it all out. But I want to ask you this question. What compels you to act? What, what challenges you to act? There's this documentary on Netflix right now called The Barkley Marathons. And uh, it's a race, it's a hundred mile race that is through the woods in Tennessee. The only thing you get uh, is a roughly hand-drawn map that you have to kind of check up with in a compass. There's no digital GPS, nothing else like that. Hundred mile race and you have 60 hours to complete it. This whole thing started, there was this guy, uh, the man that assassinated Martin Luther King Jr. got stuck in this prison in Tennessee. And he broke out of the prison and he, he escaped for 40 hours. And in 40 hours, he only got eight miles away from the prison. And so this guy that started this race said uh, that he, he kind of was laughing at the guy. And he said, if I had 40 hours, I could at least get 100 miles. And so that's how the race starts. And so you have to apply to get in the race. They only have uh, 40 people that are allowed in the race. And it costs you $1.60 to enter, right? And so you have to pay the $1.60, and then you have to pay uh, like a fee. And so one day the guy said, I want white button-up shirts. And so you had to pay the $1.60 and bring a white button-up shirt to be in the race, right? And so in this, uh, this race started in 1985, and since 1985, only 14 people have ever finished the race. So that's how difficult it is. It's incredibly hard. And there was one guy that it was his first time running the Barkley Marathons. And they, they interviewed him and he says, oh, I'm excited. They're like, how much are you going to do? And he's like, I don't know. And so they, uh, he, he goes out on his first loop because it's, it's a bunch of loops that you run. And he's gone for 18 hours. 18 hours is how long he's gone. And they finally see him walking back up to the finish line. And they said, hey, did you finish the loop? And he goes, no. They're like, well, how much of the loop did you finish? And he goes, I got to three of the 12 checkpoints. And they're like, well, why did it take so long? He goes, well, it took me eight hours to get to those three, and it took me 10 hours to find my way back to the start. So like, this is how difficult these races are. And so they've interviewed several people, and there's one guy that it's like his 10th year running the Barkley Marathons, and he's never finished. And they ask him, why do you keep running this? Like, you know, you, you, you barely, you've never finished. You've barely gotten to the, you know, the third loop. Why do you keep doing it? And he goes, because every year, my goal and enemy, the thing that keeps me going is I want to do better than the year before. That's the only reason he keeps running it. Is he's failed multiple times over and over again. And he says, I just want to be able to do better than I did. And he goes, that's what makes me, when I'm running and my feet hurt and I'm tired and I'm lost and I'm cold, he goes, the fact that I might get farther than the last checkpoint that I did the last time I ran it 
is what keeps me going. And so if you have Netflix, go ahead and watch it. It's a funny documentary uh, about this race. But think about that. What keeps you going? It's really easy sometimes when we think of, of, of acting and doing and being brave, it's really easy to think, well, it's in my strength and there's nothing that like compels me to keep going or keeps me going. But really what we find out is that the Holy Spirit is the one that keeps us going. The Holy Spirit is the one that comes alongside us and he says, I can keep you. I will be there. I'll be your strength. I'll be your power. I'll be what you need. And he pushes us and he continues us and he sends us out and he says, you will have the strength. I will be with you. I will go with you. It's the Holy Spirit that empowers us to act. It's not something on our own. I think sometimes we think of this Holy Spirit empowering us that we can only do so much that we're like waiting for this big moment. It's not the Holy Spirit saying it's one time, but it's this thing that happens regularly where He encourages us to act. At the beginning of the year, we started a series called Love Does. And we gave everyone that book. And if you haven't got it, there's a couple copies left on the table back there. But the, the book is, is a great book. And one of the things that we challenged you to do was, was live this idea of love does. That, that, that you don't think about it, you, don't, you just do it. And uh, one of the things that we challenged you to was uh, when you did something, maybe it was just something that was routine or everyday, we challenged you to go to openlife.church uh, slash love does and fill out the little uh, story and tell us what happened. And so Jen Walker, uh, she goes to the Bonnie Lake campus, she filled out uh, her Love Does story. And, and it's this idea of being empowered to act and how we're all empowered to act. And this is her story and this is kind of what she said. I, I was at work and two police officers brought in a 15-year-old kid to be fingerprinted. He was no stranger to crime and had committed a few felonies and, he'd taken a fire, and we had taken a firearm off of him that night. He was not the most cooperative person. We called him Nathan M. Nathan proceeded to yell profanity, saying there was no reason for him to be nice or give a uh, bowel movement. Uh, what happens to him since no one cares? He explained to me that he never knew his dad and he hadn't seen his mom in days and that he should just take his gun and shoot himself in the head and be done with it. His mom wouldn't care that she would only miss the check she gets from the state. And, uh, he said no one cares if he was alive. I could not believe my ears. I told Nathan that I cared. He looked at me like I was crazy and said I didn't know him. How could I care? I explained to him that I believe God brought us here today for us to meet each other so that he could help me show you that you don't have to know someone to love someone. One can love without knowing and without knowing it's all in faith. I love you. God loves you. The hardest part is loving yourself and finding worth in yourself. God and I both know you're worth it, I explained to him, and that he needed to be the man that his own mother had doubted he could be and proved to her that he was worth it. I told him that even if I never saw him again, that I would keep, keep him in my prayers and love him unconditionally and that his worth is up to him. The officers went to take Nathan away and he looked at me and asked if, I, if he was really worth it. I responded to him, of course you will always were and you always will be. You see, being brave has nothing to do with your abilities. It has nothing to do with your strength. It has everything to do with you being empowered to act. It's the Holy Spirit leading you in moments like that where you know that the value of, of humanity and the value of person is the fact that they are created in the image of God and so they automatically have value and it's simply looking at them saying, I care, I, I, I love you, I'm concerned about you. It's simple moments like that where we are empowered to act that it's brave and it's, it's crazy brave and it's that being empowered by the Holy Spirit that leads us. 
Later on in Acts chapter 3, we see Peter uh, and John, two of Jesus' disciples. And uh, here's what happened in the chapter before. They're in the, uh, the upper room as Jesus later in Acts chapter 1 told them to. The Holy Spirit came. Uh, and, and what happened was Peter began to share with people about Jesus and the resurrection and what happened. And, and thousands of people started following Jesus that day. And so now uh, Peter and John and the disciples uh, have a little bit of a, a reputation from that moment. And so here's what happens now in Acts chapter 3, uh, verse 1. And it says this, Peter and John went to the temple one afternoon to take part in the three o'clock prayer service. As they approached the temple, a man lame from birth was being carried in. Each day he was put beside the temple gate, the one uh, called the beautiful gate, so he could beg from the people going into the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for some money. And so thought number two is this, we are challenged to act daily. We're challenged to act daily. I think sometimes we put the Holy Spirit in acting and being brave in this like mysterious category that like it's this weird thing and all of a sudden I'm just going to know that the Holy Spirit is with me and I will just and I will ascend and a bright light will shine down from heaven and I will know this is the moment. I think like, we kind of mystify this idea, but really it's this idea of that we are, need to be brave to act daily. It's not this, uh, it's not this like one-time thing. I think sometimes we think that like the Holy Spirit's going to empower us like one time and like we get one shot and if we screw it up, like he's never going to do it again. That's not how it works. That's not what it means to really follow Jesus and being empowered by his spirit. It's this daily acting, this daily doing. I want to let you know that God has already set up opportunities for you to do good things, for you to trust and act daily. Whether you believe it or not. It says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 10, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we've done, so none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He's created us anew in Christ Jesus so we could do the good things he planned for us long ago. God's planned good things for you. He's planned for you to do good things. And you might not think and you might not believe that, that, that God is challenging you to everyday act, but what he's doing is he's saying, I'm going to put opportunities in front of you. These good moments where time and time again, he says, this is an opportunity for you to do good and my Holy Spirit's going to empower you to do it if you just are brave enough to act. <laughs> brave enough to do. Brave enough to see that it's an opportunity that God has put in front of you to act and do. I can almost guarantee that Peter and John had encountered this guy before. It wasn't like, like he was brand new. It wasn't like John and, and Peter were brand new to the scene. He had essentially become a white noise in his community. He was the guy that, that, that we see today that he just stands on the exit ramp waiting for somebody to hand him some money. That's this guy. That's what his life has been sent to. He's got a couple of people. He can't walk. He's got some people that will set him at the gate and say, we'll pick you up later, and they walk away. And so this guy, I guarantee that Peter and John had ran into him before. They probably walked by him a bunch of times. But for some reason, something caught their eye about this man this time. Something about this guy this time, in this moment of white noise, Peter and John somehow clue in on this guy that is there. And it's like God has put an opportunity directly in front of them. 
I think sometimes when we think about God asking us to be brave and do something, we think that God is going to ask us to do something big and scary and terrifying. I remember uh, there would be times when growing up in church, I was an insider, and I remember there would be times where they would have times where they, people, you know, missionaries would come from Africa or Indonesia or just places all around the world and they'd say things, you know, like, we need help. We need people to come help. And, you know, you should pray and see if God's calling you to this place. And I'm singing there thinking, I don't want to go to Africa. I'm fine right here. Right? Don't, don't call. And so I would never pray those prayers because I was terrified that the Holy Spirit would be like, Brent, go to Africa. And I'm like, no, you know, I don't want that. I don't think the Holy Spirit always puts these big, scary moments in front of us. I think what he really challenges us to do is he empowers us to act on a daily basis. The need that's right in front of us, the paralyzed man that's always been at the gate, the white noise in our life that's constantly just sitting there saying, hey, do you have any money? 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 That's what that guy was doing, waiting for someone to just toss him a coin. I think sometimes God puts those people in our lives and empowers us to act and empowers us to do that, that this idea of being brave to act isn't this, this bravery for one moment that's going to be this huge moment, but it's this moment of every day being brave to do the, the daily things that meet the needs of people. The story can, continues, verses 4 through, through 6. Peter and John looked at him intently and Peter said, look at us. The lame man looked at them eagerly, expecting some money. But Peter said, I don't have any silver or, silver or gold for you, but I'll give you what I have. In the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, get up and walk. Thought number three is this. Share the power we've been given. Share the power we've been given. What an incredible statement by Peter there. Uh, he goes and he looks at him and he says, hey, look at me. And the guy's like, yes, getting, getting, getting a quarter. You know, he's so, he's so jazzed. And he goes, I don't have any money. And, and like, could you imagine the dude like, why am I looking at you? Like, there's other people. And he looks at him and he says, I, I don't have any silver or gold, but what I have, I'm going to give you. I think sometimes we forget that. And I think sometimes we look at this, a, a story like this and we think, well, that's Peter. Why wouldn't Peter have the, the, you know, the, the audacity or the faith to like, you know, do something like that? Because, you know, Peter walked on water and he was with Jesus and he saw all of Jesus' miracles. And I think it's easy for us to put Peter up here and say, well, Peter's that guy and, and he can do crazy things like that. I think, though... <laughs> When you really look at Peter, you might see a lot of yourself. The difference between us and Peter is that Peter believed when Jesus and John, when John wrote what Jesus said about his disciples doing greater things, I think Peter believed it. I think Peter also believed that when Jesus said in Acts chapter 1 that they'd receive power to be witnesses, I think Peter believed it. And all of a sudden you begin to look at Peter. And when you look at Peter's life, you don't see a ton of successes. You don't see like success after success after success and think, oh my goodness, Peter is just the greatest guy on the planet. Let's all be like Peter. When you really look at Peter's life, you see constant failure and constant pulling himself back up again. He was the one that denied Jesus. He was the one that said, I don't even know who the guy is. I'm not friends with him. I don't know him. I haven't hung out with him. I don't know him. That was Peter. 
And then you see him walking on water. <laughs> and then you see him sinking going, I can't believe I'm walking on water. Jesus, help me. And Jesus pulled him back up and saying, where's your faith? And then you see Peter, the one on the shore, after he's denied Jesus, Jesus has died, he, he rises again, he comes back to life, and he looks at Peter and says, do you love me? And Peter, after denying his friend, is the, he, Peter's the one that's like, yes, you know I love you. Jesus saying, take care of my church, feed my sheep. All of a sudden you begin to realize that when you look at the life of Peter, you can see a lot of ourselves in it. And really what Peter does is he's brave enough to act and he looks at Jesus and he looks at this man and he says, I don't have anything for you. I don't have any money, I don't have any silver, I don't have any gold, but what I do have, I'm going to give to you and it's Jesus. Jesus is unexpectedly good news for broken people like you and me. When you really begin to understand what Jesus does for us, that he's died on the cross for our sins, that he rose again conquering evil and death and sin and giving us grace and forgiveness and new life, when you really begin to understand the power that Jesus has given us, it's drastically different than anything we've ever expected. And it's free to all of us. And the Holy Spirit doesn't say, okay, I want you to, you know, do all these things, these big scary things. He goes, no, just share the story. I think we've kind of mystified this idea of, of telling people about Jesus and sharing our faith. I think sometimes we're terrified to, to act. But really it's sharing what Jesus has done in our own hearts and our own lives. It's sharing the story of good news. You know what breaks my heart as, as a pastor when I'm uh, kind of walking through stuff with people is they get in a, a difficult spot. This, is, this gets said to me uh, all the time. Well, I know what you're going to say. Like, you're a mind reader now. It's phenomenal. You know, because they're going through a difficult time that, you know, maybe they, they made a mistake or, you know, a bad decision, and they go, well, I know what you're going to say because you're a pastor. I'm like, good. You know what I'm going to say. Really? And they're like, yeah, you know, you're just going to tell me that I'm a bad person and that I should have made a better decision and I need Jesus and I'm bad and you're good and I'm wrong and you're right. And I'm like, yeah, that's, that's exactly what I'm going to tell you. Yep, you suck at life. Never said that to anyone. I've never looked at someone who's been struggling and said, yep, you screwed it all up. There's people that I'm walking through life right now that I wish I could look at them sometimes and say, listen, I have an answer if you would just trust me. But you know what? Sometimes they're not ready for that answer. Sometimes they just need someone to not say, yeah, you screwed that one up big time. Because guess what happens? People already know what life says to them. We already know when we make mistakes, when we mess up, we already know what life says. It says you're not good enough, you made a mistake, you'll never overcome it, you've messed up, you'll never be good enough, and it can go on and on and on and on of what life says to us. But what Jesus says is unexpectedly good news, and what we have as followers of Jesus isn't some mystifying power, it's just good news that God loves you, He cares about you, and He's made a way for you to have a relationship, and that's the good news that we share. It's good news for broken people. It's different than what life has said, that you are a mistake, that you've screwed up, that you're never going to overcome it. All of a sudden it realizes that this power that we've been given, this power that we have to share is this story of Jesus, that he is grace, that he is forgiveness, that he is love.
Share the power that you've been given. Share the power of Jesus crucified and resurrected. It will be unexpected good news for broken people. Peter continues in verse 7 and says, Peter took the lame man by the right hand and helped him up. And as he did, the man's feet and ankles were instantly healed and strengthened. He jumped up, stood on his feet, and began to walk. Then walk, walking, leaping, and praising God, he went into the temple with them. Thought number four, miracles can happen when we act. Uh, like I mentioned earlier, I'm an insider when it comes to faith. And I remember on Sunday nights, like Sunday nights were always different uh, if you grew up in church. Uh, and it was kind of the night that like missionaries would come in. And I, I remember there were times where missionaries would come in and they, they're telling us about what they're doing in different parts of the world. And, and I remember they would say things like, yeah, we pr this guy that was born without an arm, we prayed for an arm and all of a sudden an arm grew. And this, you know, kid that he couldn't see anymore, we prayed for his eyes and all of a sudden he could see. And, and you know, this kid was deaf and all of a sudden he could hear it. And you're, they're, you're, they're praying all these things and you're sitting there going, wow, that's cool, you know? And you're thinking, man, how does that happen? You're like, why doesn't it happen here? That's the question I always ask myself. Why doesn't it happen here? I mean, like, if, is it a different, does God have like a different, like, different kind of God, like, vibe in Africa than he does here, like, different vibe, you know? Like, what's the difference between God in Africa or South America and God here? And I think like, well, did I not pray the right prayer? Did I not have enough faith? Like, is there like some magic formula that I don't know about? And you know what I found was the common denominator in all of my questions? I. <laughs> it was I. Because I had that fear of, what if I pray and nothing happens? Have you ever had that? Have you ever had that fear before? Like you can feel it inside of you and you know you're supposed to pray for that person and you're sitting there going, well, what if I pray and nothing happens? What if I pray and they still are like, you know, they still can't walk or they still are just what, still messed up. What's going to happen? If it, I. You know what the greatest news? <laughs> The greatest news about being brave to act is it has nothing to do with you. There's no I in it. If you remember the big idea that being brave is going past our own abilities and realizing that God's power in its fullness is what guides us and directs us. And so it's not about I, it's not about me. The opposite can also happen though. Sometimes we're so afraid that what if it doesn't happen? that we leave the opportunity on the table. Sometimes I like to think, what if I do pray for that person and it does happen? Then I'm gonna be freaked out, right? What if I pray for that person that can't walk and I pray for them and all of a sudden they stand up out of a wheelchair and they walk? And then I'm gonna go, what just happened? But guess what? It doesn't happen <laughs> if we don't act. It doesn't happen if we don't have the bravery to act. Here's what we see in the Gospels. Miracles happen when we act, and here's what we see. We see Jesus in the Gospels, and he's never really fair. <laughs> Jesus isn't fair. There's this story in the Gospels of there's this pool that was believed that when the waters began to stir in it, that the first person that got into the pool was healed of whatever they had. 
And so there are people that would live around this pool and they would sometimes have someone help them get into the water. And then the first one, and so there's this story about Jesus and he, he's walking through these people that are waiting for the water to stir and he sees this guy that can't walk and he looks at him and he says, hey, uh, do you want to get better? And the guy says, well, you know, I can't get any better because I don't have anyone that gets me to the pool and so someone always beats me in. And he says, mm, yeah, let's not worry about the pool thing. Like, I'll take care of that part. Do you just want to get better? And the guy is like, yeah, you know. And so Jesus heals the guy and he starts walking. You know what we don't never see after that moment? We don't see any, anywhere in the Gospels about here, anybody else that was around that pool getting healed. None of them. I'm sure there were other people that couldn't walk or couldn't see or couldn't hear, or had other physical deformities, whatever it may be. Jesus only heals one. Why? I don't know. What I do know is that sometimes we have to be brave to act. Do we have to have that bravery to reach down as Peter did, take that person by the hand and say, I, I don't have any silver, I don't have any gold, but what I have I'm going to give to you, and it's Jesus. And sometimes it's not a physical ailment that we have to reach down and grab their hand, but sometimes it's just life has beat them down and continually beat them and beat them and beat them. And all they need is someone to come alongside them and say, I love you and here's Jesus and he loves you. And just like Jennifer said, and you matter and you matter to me and you matter to God. And it's just like reaching down to that person that maybe they can't, uh, maybe they can physically walk, but maybe their soul is lame and it's lifting them up and saying, I'm brave enough to act in this moment. People's miracles can't happen unless we act. <laughs> but when we do act, miracles can happen. We don't always know if, if they will, but when we act, the possibility is there. Jesus said to his followers that they could, we could do greater things than him. We just have to believe it. We have to have the belief that God, through his Holy Spirit, will empower us to act. And miracles happen. So the story continues in verse 9. All the people saw him walking and heard him praising God. When they realized he was the lame beggar they had seen so often at the beautiful gate, they were absolutely astounded. They all rushed out in amazement to Solomon's colonnade where the man was holding tightly to Peter and John. And what we see in thought number five, our actions will lead people to Jesus. Our actions will lead people to Jesus. So Peter and John are brave to act. They trust what Jesus had told them. They realize it isn't their own strength and their own power, but they're relying on God's. And what we're going to find out, we're going to continue this story next week, because what we find out in this story is that Peter again shares Jesus with all these people. But you know what, what happens is all of a sudden, Peter didn't say, I'm going to heal you. He said, I don't have any silver. I don't really have any gold. But what I do have is Jesus. That's what I'm going to give you. And this man, all of a sudden, it leads people to Jesus. Our actions lead 
people to Jesus. When you act brave, not this brave in our own strength, but brave in the fullness of God's power, and you realize that the Holy Spirit is working on your behalf, leading you and guiding you and directing you, that every day is an opportunity, that there are people that are placed in front of us every day for us to act, all of a sudden you begin to realize that when you act, it leads people to Jesus. Because we're going to find out here next week that all of a sudden people go, oh my goodness, It's that Jesus guy again. He's back. Your actions lead people to Jesus. As the band comes, our action point today is this. Go in God's power and act. Go in God's power and act. So the kid is hit by a car. My dad watches as they leave. I'm sitting there, obviously terrified, and my mom comes home. My dad tells her what happened, and she looks at me and says, you need to go over there and see if he's okay. I'm like, "Uh uh-uh, not a chance. And I remember arguing with my mom. I'm like, they're going to be mad at me. They're going to beat me up. They're going to send me to jail. Why do you hate me? Why do you want me to go to jail? And I remember my mom very adamantly saying, you're going. (laughs) And I didn't argue with my mom when she became adamant. And I remember I asked her, I said, will you guys go with me? She said, yeah, we'll go. And so I remember my mom and my dad walked out the front door. And I'm sitting there going, I'm not going. Maybe if I stand here, they won't see that I'm not with them, you know? And I remember they went down the steps and they got to the end of our walk and they like, my mom looked at me and gave me those eyes, you know, moms, you know those eyes I'm talking about, those ones that like, if you don't get out here, you're going to, you know, you're going to get hit by a car and it's going to be my wooden spoon. And so I slowly slinked out the front door and I got to the driveway, my parents had crossed the street. The family was in the backyard and my parents had already started engaging them over the fence. And I slowly, slowly started to go across the street. And I remember when I got there, the kid, amazingly and thankfully, he had, he had some cuts and bruises. No, no broken bones, no damage, he didn't die. It's just incredible. And I remember the graciousness that the family had when I got there. But I also remember that I wouldn't have crossed the street if my parents hadn't gotten there before me. And I think that might be how God acts in our lives. That I think maybe he's planned these good works for us. And he says, will you have the strength to go across the street? Will you be brave enough just to walk across the street? Because I think once we have that bravery and we know because the only way I crossed the street was because my parents went. That's the only way I knew. It was their strength that enabled me to go across. I think that's how the Holy Spirit works. I think that God puts us in situations and he crosses the street for us in his Holy Spirit and in his power. And he says, will you come on this journey with me? Will you be brave enough to act? And I think for us, we look at our lives and we say, well, I'm not adequate enough. 
I've made too many mistakes. Are you sure you're talking to me? Are you sure I'm the right person? What if it doesn't happen? What if I pray for that person? What if I go across the street? And I think sometimes in following Jesus and this being brave to act, we just got to be brave enough to walk across the street and trust that God's power is already there and at work. And I think it changes everything. And so this week, I want to encourage you, I want to challenge you, go in God's power and act. Be brave. Be brave. Not to, well, what if I... <laughs> the only time Peter and John said, I, was when he said, I don't have any silver and gold, but what I have. That's all he said. It's the only time he ever said, I. What I have, I give you. And he didn't give him his strength. He didn't give him the name of Peter. He didn't give him the name of John. He gave him Jesus. That's all we're, that, that's all we're called to do. Jesus. 